is a business Like a razor through a slit wrist Are you the razor or the rest? Sacrifice for the grip Product or seller? Prisoner or jailer? System is failing Okay dipshit, sit in your cell and keep praying It would somehow get better Like the drowning might stop getting wetter Like the girl in the gangbang crying For some reason smiles when she's mounted by the 15th felt Welcome to Truth to Power I am Curious G On this episode we're going to be doing a two-part episode for the song Jungle. We're actually going to release this episode on Friday, same as always. On Fridays our episodes come out. Um, However, we had an illness in the family and we're going to be pushing off part of this podcast episode until the beginning of next week. In this segment, you're going to get a little something different. And this is a bigger topic than a lot of the ones that we've looked at so far. So maybe it's appropriate that we spend a little bit more time on it. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so I don't know if you realize this, but this song was the first time that you and I had spoken in years. Do you realize that? Jungle was, really? I do not realize yes. that. Wow, really? Yes. Really? Yes. You called me. Mm-hmm. You called me, and I was here at my apartment, mm-hmm. and um, I told you what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and you said, really? And I started to rap Jungle as I walked out my front door, and I walked down the sidewalk of my apartment building at the time. Yeah. And I'm just walking past people and I'm hitting the lyrics very aggressively for Jungle, you know? And and if you recall, like the way that it was, you were like, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah we could do something. I do remember. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I never, so wait, was this, this was the first record we did? Really? No, this was the first thing I showed you. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I said, man, I, I really kind of am interested in trying to rap, man. And um, this was the thing that I showed you when we had that conversation. I remember clearly because the, I mean, the the lyrics are, <clears throat> are intense, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the way that the song starts off, you know, crime is a business, like a razor through a, a slit wrist. wrist, you know, yeah. it's, it's getting grimy from the beginning. And then you get into that gangbang line. And I think that's where I kind of wrapped <laughs> up what I was doing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And here I am just walking outside and it's, you know, like the weather's kind of nice and people are out and about, you know what I mean? But I was just doing my thing and <laughs> trying to see if you'd w- want to work with me. So this is the song. And I remember, I remember the cook-up process for it because you were like, you really wanted like almost tribal-type drums. Do you remember that, Sean? Because this was one we revised a couple times, if you originally remembered. And it, this was back when I would send you like a drum beat, or you would send me like a drum beat with an idea to it, and I'd be like, okay, and then try to kind of remake it. Do you remember that? This actually was like bare oh, yeah. bones, bare bones, and we yeah. revised it a couple times because you were like, um, you originally you were like, I, I really want this like tribal-type fill, and- if you listen, oh, we're to this, in the jungle, man. We're in the jungle. Yeah, right, right. If you listen to this song, this has some of the hardest hitting drums on the entire Headspace album. Do you agree? It literally does. Like, it's, and it's got some of the hardest lyrics. I mean, just the way it comes in. And I even bring attention to the fact that my old ass is doing this stuff. You know what I mean? Like in that second verse, the way that shit starts off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why is he rapping? He's old. Quit it. Should I kept quiet waiting for some other motherfuckers to give it? Uh, you know, <laughs> uh. you know, just coming in quick, you know? So 
you know, this was an important song to me. And it, it, in this song, like when I was starting to write some of these lyrics, like for this and Banks and, uh, you know, even Framed, you know, I was asking myself, could I get arrested for some of the stuff I'm saying? And that's <laughs> what is in the lyrics in this, in this song, you know? I even asked the question, should I be quiet, you know? Do you remember? But, um, I don't know if we kept this version. This was this was the record we had the uh, <clears throat> the coming to America uh, intro on it. Yes. You know, to be honest with you, I don't know, dude. We're getting close to forty <laughs> tracks. Saw, remember when we had <laughs> and it was like Eddie, the yelling out the, Eddie was yelling out the window or whatever that scene from Coming to America. I swear it's Jungle. When I was making the performance mix earlier, I was like. Uh, or going going through the stems, I was like, I swear that that was on here originally. I always thought that was kind of cool because it dropped in pure hard with the uh, with how you come in or whatever. Well, we we did we did two different takes on this song. I think early on we did something, and then we we changed it up a little bit, you know, because I I did the the vocals over it um, undercast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's so right. I, I think we switched some things around, but we never really lost sight of that feeling of like in the jungle. You know what I mean? Like with right. the drums hitting and all that kind of stuff. Doom, 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 doom. The percussive elements we added. Yeah, that's freaking cool. That's freaking cool. Um. What does this, in retrospect, what does this track mean to you uh, in relation to where we've gotten now? Like, do you still feel the same way as an artist, uh, a year and a half kind of into it, or do you, or if, if you kind, of, is your attitude kind of changed a little bit towards uh, some of the stuff on here that you're talking about? No, it really, it really hasn't changed as far as my attitude towards the war on drugs. You know, I, I, I think that when it comes to the the war on drugs, what we've done is we've criminalized an activity right. that is a social issue, you know, and, mm. and here's, here's the thing. And this is the thing that I think would, would bypass most people when they look at this song. Mm. Um, I'm really concerned about all the people that work in the industry, all those jobs that I mentioned, you know right. what I mean? The judges, the lawyers, the cops, the bondsmen, the probation officers. Right. These are a lot of people that are really good people that are living good lives. You know what I mean? And they, they've profited in a lot of ways because crime treats drugs, you know, like it's illegal, right? Where, which I don't believe it should be, you know? I think it should be something that we have free choice of doing, you know? Like if you go rock climbing, right? There's a choice that you're making that you could goddamn fall. Right, 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 right. It's a calculated right? decision. I've read that Certain states uh, in the Northwest, not specifically Washington, but I have read Oregon has decriminalized certain drugs. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I'm not like well up on it, but um, I've read that some company or some country or not country, geez, some states have decriminalized or brought the law, the, the laws. They've, they've lessened um, the punishment that's involved with getting caught with a gram of such and such, you know, and not just pop because everybody's getting on board on that, except for the South. But soon enough. Well, you know, it's funny is the people doing this show isn't really people that are like drug users, right? Oh, absolutely like, not. But All, but it yeah. but it is it is an argument, yeah. you know, that we're we're trying to make um, that that it should be a social issue, you know, addressed that way with with treatment, with education, with things like that, and not a crime. But but the biggest conversation I think with this is all those people that I was talking about, those people that work in this industry. We need to have jobs for them. You right. know what I mean? Which may maybe it's a retraining for social um 
mental health things, you know what I mean? Uh, to address some things that people are self-medicating for because, right. and, and it has to be a good living. You know what I mean? That's the thing. It's like, uh, it, we can invest in people's mental health, but you know, those jobs generally don't pay enough to survive either. So, you know, America has some really hard things to look at as far as this drug problem. And that's, you another, know? and now that I think of it, I never really like thought about this. That's another cool thing about jungle. The song is you're addressing these topics, but the guy that is rapping on here and the guy that produced it are not, we don't, <laughs> we're not drug users. We're completely, we're sober people. And it's cool that like you're looking out for um, some, some of these well, people out there, you know what I mean? Let's, let's be clear. I've had, I've had issues with, with all of that type of so, stuff. So you know? have I, but and, it, it was alcohol and, on my end, but just, you know, we, we, both we don't need to go into, we don't need to go into any of that stuff or like how we, we manage to stay where we are. You know what I mean? Right. Like we don't have to go into that direction, but I can say that I can talk from experience. In fact, you know, in the segment that, um, that I, I did on, on this episode, yeah. I talk about something quite personal, you know, and it was an actual experience that was, you know, when I was locked up, right. um, you know, and it, it really honestly didn't have anything to do with drugs. I was a goddamn criminal. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> somebody that had a social sickness with alcohol or drugs. Right. You know, I was doing some nefarious shit right. that I started to do actually at the age of five. You know, um, I just happened to come up in a household that had um, severe alcoholism and people would black out and forget to come home. And when it was just my mother and I, you know, often I would um, find ways of, of feeding myself. Let's just say that even at a young age. Um, but I came up and, and got in a lot of trouble my senior year in high school. You know, that was where everything kind of came to a head. And um, I saw the world a little bit differently from from that side of the wall. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, first off, I'm not an idiot. You know what I mean? Like I'm paying attention, you know, and, and I'm just seeing that most of the people that were there were, were there for drugs and most of them, they weren't well, <laughs> right. you know, in some capacity or another, Right. you know, but the biggest issue I think is, is that when it comes to this song, like I'm, I'm addressing all the jobs that are connected to this problem, you know, and these are the people that you've really got to think about. You know what I mean? Because what's the motivation for them to change unless they can continue to support themselves? I just thought it was really, like, really cool for you to address these kind of topics um, being, like, someone, like, we don't really, you know, delve in this kind of stuff or whatever, but it was really cool that you... Um, <clears throat> That you address that you address this stuff, and it's it's really an important message, and I actually agree with it. It definitely drugs are definitely a business. Crime is a business, or whatever. Um, you want to um, do you want to enlighten the audience and me um, with the Reagan's the war on drugs in the eighties or whatever, and what that meant um, in terms of like financial gain for the government. Well, you know, or is if, that if way you're talking too deep to, and way too tough of a no, 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 no. I think I can simplify. <laughs> yeah, simplify it. I, 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 I think I can simplify some things. Okay, we are four percent of the world's population, and we have twenty-five percent of the world's incarcerated in this country. Mm. Think about those numbers. Just think about that for a moment. Twenty-five percent of all of the people that's locked up in the world are here in the United States. And we're only 4% of the world's population? Four approaching five, 
right in that, that area. That is outrageous. But so still, one out of every four people in prison on people planet on the Earth. on the planet. Yeah, and I say that in the song. Oh my! Think about those numbers. Why is that? Is that that we're just gun-toting, it, crazy Americans, and we love no, getting in no, trouble? No, no, crime. Crime is a business. Crime is a business. And we've, we've, we've managed to keep a lot of families working. You know what I mean? And like I said just a little while ago, these are good Americans. The police, the, the, the probation officers, a lot of those people are good, good people. And I know you can always point fingers and say, you know, there's an issue here, there's an issue right, there. Right. You know, I, and, and believe me, I could point more fingers than most. You know what I mean? When I was arrested as, as a young man, I was given an illegal sentence. They went beyond the capacity for which they could sentence me. I did years of probation and paid tons of money after serving enough time to be considered good. You know, um, I had the main probation officer come to my job, like the main probation officer for the whole county come to my job and apologize, hmm. you know what I mean? For, for the things that the court had done, hmm. you know, and I look back on that time and I could have went after them or whatever. I, I don't know what I could have done, but I really don't care. You know, I walked away from all of that experience with my life and, and health and mind and my spirit intact, you know, and I matured and I grew up, you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm not going to make any um, bones about like where I came from, but it really doesn't matter where we come from. It matters where we are today, you and know, where, and, and where we're headed. Well, I don't know how far I can make it in this world. Um <laughs> I, I think I've made it far beyond any place that anybody should have ever made it the way that I came up and the circumstances that I found myself in as a young man without really understanding the consequences, you know? Um, but like I said, I was a criminal. I wasn't like some of these people that are on, on drugs that are, have been arrested and they've had their lives ruined, mm. you know? Mm. So... I have a different perspective on this too. You know, the school I went to was about 80% black um, in Florida in mm -hmm. the in the 70s, you know, going into first grade. And a lot of the kids that I would fight, um, like on a weekly basis, right? Like we were on schedule for that shit. Mm -hmm. they, became my, they became my friends, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I saw things just a little bit differently, I think, in, in that area, right? As these kids grew up and the guys I knew in high school from when we knew each other in elementary school, mm -hmm. right? A lot of them would see that, you know, maybe the older brothers working at Burger King and never had shit. And another uh, younger brother maybe is selling drugs and has a lot you know, has girls and money and, you know, stuff and clothes, you know what I mean? Like right. when you're young like that, you see that stuff. And this is part of the war on drugs, right? Like kids, what do they want? They want instant gratification, right? You know, so selling drugs is really easy to do when you see that kind of profit, but it's really hard to show up at work at Burger King. You know, it's crazy you know what I mean? when, when you first spit me this song, when, when you, when we first uh, got back in touch, uh, when you had said crime is a business and it, they had that, that underlying theme throughout the record, I originally thought it was kind of talking, like, immediately my mind went to, like, the mafia, like, you know what I mean, organized crime and all that. And now, after, like, like getting to know what the song is, like, truly about, it's crazy that you're, you're, you're saying, like, the actual, like, jailhouses, 
the prison system, um, the war on drugs, that's actually the business. And I never thought about that originally. I literally thought it was kind of organized crime as a business because we all know, dude, the mafia made a lot of money. You know what I mean? We know that. Yeah. So so I don't know if you caught like in the second verse, let's get to the math of where we're at. Mm -hmm. Each arrest is equal to 11 jobs, judges, lawyers, cops, jailers, bondsmen, you know, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but yeah, right. think, think, think about what I said. That's the math, mm -hmm. right? There's 11 jobs attached to every person that's incarcerated. So we have a lot of incarcerated people in this country, right? Right. <laughs> Compared to other places. Right. Well, think about that. 11 jobs to everyone that's incarcerated. And this is what I'm talking about. This will never change unless we have a plan for these people to have some retraining where they're not uh, losing ground in right. their wages. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like we already underpay our police. We already underpay our probation officers and these people. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm saying that as a fucking ex-criminal, right? Like- right. You know, I've known a lot of these people and a lot of them are good people, you know, and I'm not saying that they're perfect because I've seen some shit. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I actually saw a, a cop shoot somebody when I was about 16 years old and he did it in fucking cold blood. You know what Jesus. I mean? But it, it did. Yeah. And it didn't come out that way in the news. You know, it was bike week in Daytona and I saw the shit. I had a fucking front row seat to what happened. And so did about five of my friends, mm. you know. But we were all skipping school, and, and what came out in the paper was a different story. So that's neither here nor there. Right. You know what I mean? Things, things happen, and, and these motherfuckers have got pressure on them. I mean, they got goddamn pressure on them. You know, They don't even know if they're going to make it through the day sometimes. You know, And I can't imagine that. But I do know that we need to take care of all the people that's involved in the war on drugs. You know, not, not just the criminals, you know what I mean? We're not going to cry for them. You know what I mean? We're going to take care of them, you know, right. and, and legalize drugs, you know, look at it as a social issue, but the families, man, the good families, the American families, cops, probation officers, judges, you know, all these people, you know, what are they going to do if we ever ended fucking the war on drugs? They're not going to have, <laughs> what, <laughs> that's a good question. That kind of stumped me like, what are they going to have to do for work if you ended that? Like drastically, um, I mean, if if I don't know the percentages, but if you were to like take a judge on any given day, the amount of like cases, you know, and I'm talking like not high up judge doing murder trials. I mean, like a local judge out of the, he might see how many people during a day, Sean, on any given day? What? 50? Well, 40, here's 50? the thing. Here's the thing. There's a lot of people that are going into the, the jail system and the prison system mm -hmm. that don't have the money, uh, resources, people that care about them, or even the education level to be able to do anything other than accept deals that are given to them. Yeah, by public you know? defenders. that uh... <laughs> By public defenders. Yeah. I, I accepted uh, a deal that went beyond the limits of what they could actually legally do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't know. Yeah. I was young. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I was in, I, I was in my last year of fucking high school. Um, and here I am, you know, going to jail for what could be a significant amount of time. Right. You know, and you know, I was doing some nefarious stuff, man. Like I said, I, I started breaking in places when I was literally five years old. I mean, that was the, the age that that started, you know? And when I was a senior in high school, I got popped for cracking safes. What do you, what do you, you even know? take when you're five food, like toys? Like what do you even, well, <laughs> well, my, 
my mom's drinking buddy, yeah. right, had nine kids, and they were ages from two to about 17, 18, something like that. Got it. Um, and they were going in places. They were supposed to watch us. Moms were off doing their thing, Got right? It. it was kids kids watching kids in the 70s. You know, it's in the drugs of the 70s, and this was a drug house. Right. You know what I mean? Got it. So you can imagine the things that was going on. You know, and, and I ended up in situations like, you know, we're going to put you through this window over here and you're going to go unlock the door. Now, when you're five and you go into a fucking window, <laughs> like one of those bathroom windows, like in Florida, we have something called a jealousy windows. He's like little, you know, slatted pieces of glass yeah. that you would actually remove. Right. And back then you could just easily get into those bathrooms, but you know, then you got to drop down. You got to go find the front door. You don't know what's inside the house. If there's a dog, you know, it was some intense shit. I was scared to death. You know what I mean? But you, you couldn't say no. You know what I mean? You got choked out. You got pushed in. You got made. Right. So, so, you know, by the time I was seven, um, I knew if mom didn't come home, I would be able to eat because I knew how to do that by then. And I had money. You know what I mean? That is I so had money. fucking crazy, man. <laughs> that is crazy. Well, what's crazy is you'd go to school in third grade and guys were selling LSD and those temporary tattoos that you lick on and stick on your skin. Yeah. Third grade. <laughs> you know, and that's what I saw on the regular. You know what I mean? So this is part of the war on drugs. You know what I mean? Children in third grade should not be um, dealing LSD, right, and lick on tattoos in, in, in the school that they're going to. Yeah, hell no. They should not be doing that. No, 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 no. no. So you're, you're talking about like, you know, the war on drugs, it affects a lot of things. And if you think that, oh, I don't do drugs and I, um, my kids are, are getting a good education, this and that, they go to school with other kids. You know, uh, I was not a terrible kid. Like I was a pretty good kid, to be honest with you, even though I was doing the things that I was doing, you know what I mean? But keep in mind, I was doing that stuff to feed myself. And as soon as there was plenty, guess what? That shit stopped. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? Um, you know, as I got a little bit older, that shit stopped. And yeah, I was a senior in high school and I jumped back into that shit. Um, and it, it had a lot to do with the friends that I made at that time. You know, not to say that they pushed me or any of that stuff. Um, but to be honest with you, if I wasn't hanging out with people that did crime, I wouldn't have kept doing it. You know, um, I stopped, I think, when I was about 10, 11 years old, you know, um, and got started again as I got older because, you know, by then I was ego. Right. Right. So, but you know, this, this thing, like we got to think about all those different aspects. Like our, our kids go to school together. You know what I mean? Do you want them to go into school with kids like me? Cause there's kids like me out there today, you know, that don't know how they're going to eat. You know, in this country, there's a lot, 20% before COVID. 20% of our kids today in the schools in our public schools are going to bed with hunger issues. 20%, one in five. Think about that. That is a lot. That is a lot. Some of them might be grateful when they get old enough like me and do get arrested because they'll at least eat three meals a day. And that's how easy it is to get institutionalized. Yeah, I've heard stories about um, um, some homeless getting arrested on purpose for that exact reason, that just to go get the three square meals and have a place to lay their head at night, which is just so damn sad, you know? Um I can't imagine if a child has to do that, a teenager has to do that just to 
get some decent food in their stomach literally go to jail. Like, that's not how it should be whatsoever. No, no, not in this country. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why it is other than we have our blinders on for a lot of reasons. You know, like if you are one of the people working in the, the business of crime, mm-hmm. right, and and you're making your wage and, and you're supporting your family, you're too busy trying to just raise your family to, to think about what actually is going on with some of the people's lives. Or what your decisions are, are actually affected. doing to people's lives and their families' lives, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and they're they're just doing their jobs, man. Like those correctional officers, those are the ones they they have to look at those people every single day. You know, they can't have a bad relationship with those people. Right. You know, they have to look them in the eye and, and things like that and treat them a little bit more human. Right. You know what I mean? Um, it's a tough problem because these relationships they don't just stop. There's no wall, right? Like I'm a cop, you're a criminal, right? Like it doesn't just stop between that because we have family members that are addicted to drugs. Right. We have family members that go to jail. We have family members that go to school with other kids that, like I said, are like me, <laughs> you know, or were, you know, like, like I was. So, like, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there, there's a guy, Richard Montgomery, that I, I talked about right on, on the segment that I, I did. Mm -hmm. And he was a guy that had already spent nine years in prison since a young teenage boy Mm -hmm. got out and he was looking at maybe the death penalty, life in prison, whatever. Mm -hmm. He murdered a few people, right? And this was not his first time, right? This was a dangerous person and him and his entire family, they looked at it like it was a business, right? Mm -hmm. For them. And when they were on the streets, they were working, and when they were locked up, they were working. You know, it was all part of the job. Wait, killing people? They, they looked at killing people as part of the job? Oh, no. Those, those motherfuckers were slinging dope, dude. Oh, shit. <laughs> they, they were slinging dope. Yeah, the Montgomery family, yeah, they uh, they took on the DeLand Police Department with Uzis on the streets. These dudes were not fucking about. Um, Richard Montgomery just happened to be a dude that I was uh, was in a cell with, you know, in a, 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 okay. a cell block. Okay. You know, and here I was with, uh, you know, a violation of probation that happened some years later. You know, I was, I think, 20 year, 21 years old when, when this happened. Um, and you're in it and you're sharing a cell with the, yeah, we were on the same cell block and I tell a story about when we actually met and, and the first time that we spoke, I tell that story on this podcast. Mm. Um, but this dude, he was, um, he was arrested for killing a couple of people that were talking about the people that he killed. (laughs) Like he had killed some people recently and he was, these people were talking about it. Like, oh yeah, he killed them motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like they were just having this conversation at a party and then he killed them. (laughs) So this dude was not fucking around. You know what I mean? He was a different kind of human, you know? And, and we have to think about it. Like we all collectively made Richard Montgomery. We all collectively made Sean Giles. You know what I mean? Right. We all collectively made the people that, that become the police, right? Um, by giving jobs that, that can sustain these families that are good families, you know? And what are we going to do with these families? How can we retrain them? Hmm. You know, so this is a we problem, man. This is a we the people problem, and it's a we problem. Let's talk crazy white problems and pillow biting. I learned everything I needed to learn about survival from a homicidal maniac named Richard Montgomery, whom I 
had met in Volusia County Jail in the year of our Lord, 1991. First thing you must realize about the homicidal maniac. Not all maniacs are crazy. A maniac can be defined as an obsessive enthusiast, like the religious maniac, over religious people who think of a way to slip Jesus in during a job interview. Now, Rich had not murdered people out of some need to kill, but rather as a result of living violently in a world he found to be violent at every turn. In his world, well, he was a success story, right up to the point of getting caught. The problem was that his world is a subculture of our world. In our world, we will lock you the fuck up for killing people that snitch on you for killing people. Now, for Richard Montgomery, this would have been keeping his priorities straight, handling his business. He was a self-actualized killer, not willing to take any guff. Well, I met Mr. Montgomery while he was facing life in prison. After I violated my probation over a technical violation, but let's not dwell on the judicial system and why it would put someone with no history of violence incarcerated for a probation violation in a cell with a homicidal maniac facing the death penalty with, and this is important, a strong inclination for prison rape. I'm only trying to set the stage for the mood of the good of the character arc. Okay, getting back to our killer. As someone who knew him, Sure, Rich would kill at the drop of a hat. If you broke his rules. Rules that, by the way, are not posted on a sign. They are floating around in his homicidal head. Unfortunately, only he and those he killed became privy to the rules. Unless he told you what they were. Like, rules like, don't reach across my breakfast tray for pepper. (laughs) What can I say? Richard put neatness right alongside Old Testament godliness. But let me tell you the story. So there I was in my cell writing a letter at the time at this little metal table in a very small cell. When my cellmate, a dude with real honest-to-goodness black problems, had a guest. The conversation focused mainly around white women who liked to play the skin flute for rocks, how much time they were facing, and what happened on days of our lives. Jailbirds like their stories. Well, I'm sitting at the table at this end of the cell, and over the next few minutes, that end of the cell filled up with as many as eight other brothers, positioned between yours truly and the cell door being actually the only fire exit. It was getting a bit rapey. As did the conversation. Dudes started to share prison rape stories, which included the funny things that Whitey would say before getting stabbed in the filthy balloon knot with a love shank. Now, as much as I tried to write my letter, all my creativity seemed to dry up. What can I say? I was engaged. So I spun my narrow ass around in that seat, dropped my wooden pencil just out of sight, alongside my leg, and kept my eyes on the floor. Not because I was intimidated and afraid to look at someone's eyes, I was just coming to the terms with the fact that as a peaceful person, I was becoming a homicidal maniac as the chatter droned on. 
More importantly, I was watching the feet for the first set to move, knowing I would have buried my number due pencil in the nearest approaching cum gun. Honestly, I was also trying to remember the word from Scarface while all of this was going on. Okay, you want to play rough? Say hello to my little pencil. Okay, subpar Spanish dialogue aside, it was time to pay attention. Now, Rich was leading the conversation. He did have the best rape stories of them all, I'll tell you. If everyone laughed, I'd laugh, as if I was enjoying the conversational foreplay. Once in a while, it was kind of funny. I swear white people do say the darndest things during a prison rape. Or maybe it was just the way that Rich told it. The worst part about Richard telling a story was he had a fucking stutter. A homicidal maniac telling white boy rape stories is fucking painful enough when the storyteller has a speech impediment. Jumping fucking Jesus. Not only do you get the blow by blow with a sense of dramatic suspense and subtle pause, but the whole time I've got this background dialogue in my head where I'm wanting to say, damn, bro, spit that shit out. Then, much to my chagrin, Richard said to me directly, what would you do if I said give it up now? This was a teaching moment. I at long last raised my eyes to look at Richard. I was trying not to grin because it was kind of fucking funny. But calm like a bomb, I said, I would come at you like the devil. And I would get through you and through that door as I screamed bloody goddamn murder, pounding on the window of the day room with blood-soaked hands. And then I would tell on all you motherfuckers. I wouldn't run behind your backs to the guards and snitch. I would tell. Now, try saying that shit when you're on the wrong end of a forced interracial gangbang. Halfway through, I felt a little giggle just below the surface, and that's why I panicked and said I would tell. (laughs) Truth was, that was never part of the plan. Richard Montgomery killed someone for talking about someone he killed before he got caught for killing those motherfuckers that he killed. Now, the dude that he killed, he wasn't snitching. He was telling, but more like commentary after the fact like at a party, in the hood. And this motherfucker killed those motherfuckers that were talking about it. Now, (laughs) just an interesting story, if you will. This may have been one of those rules floating around in his obsessively enthusiastic, manslaughtering, whimsical mind. Rule number one, bitches don't talk. Now, with giddy anticipation, (laughs) I waited for his response. And I'll never really forget what he said, for two reasons. Number one, he took so long to fucking say it. I mean, in this moment of intensity, me and the other seven convicts had to wait for this stammering rapist to reply. The second reason I would not forget is because I didn't really expect it to go so fucking smooth. He said, you a dumb white boy, but you got a lot of heart. Now, he said that shit just like that. Now, he smiled. Hmm. And he pointed to my little Scarface pencil that I had hidden by my side just to let me know he noticed. To my surprise, Richard Montgomery got up 
and walked out. One by one, so did everyone else except for my cellmate. He was in shock, more so than I myself. Of course, I got the fuck out too and left him sitting in the cell alone. If you win the lottery, you don't stick around counting the fucking coins. Anyways, the next day, Richard comes to me and explained that he was doing some illegal things while locked up. I know. Shocker. Anyway, he told me I would be the bank. He couldn't have everyone paying him and didn't want a box full of commissionary stash in his lockbox. I guess he just didn't want to get caught with an extra pack of little Debbie Nutty Buddy bars on top of his murder charges. Anyway... So people would pay me and I would supply him and the needs of his business. I was the legitimate face of a homicidal maniac's jailhouse banking needs in the midst of real black problems. He did tell me how much he hated white people and I was, and I quote, you cool cracker smooth. Now, you can tell that motherfucker practiced because he did say that shit smooth. Now, up to this point in my life, that may have been the nicest thing that I had ever heard. You know, with the context of the story. (laughs) I mean, I prefer to hear that than not so much teeth. Anyway, I learned a lot from Rich. I learned who I was in a violent world, which is really no different than him. I also learned that you never know what kind of man you are until your back is against the wall and you're faced with eight dicks. Well... What I am saying is people are often only as good as the options available. In a world that might not give us many options, we do what we must. I'm glad nobody in that cell wanted to be get to be the first to get stabbed in the dick by a homicidal maniac with crazy white problems. I feel like I've been whining about this forever. They won't fucking ever decriminalize drugs because everyone holding keys is too busy stacking chat. Look at me, I'm an artist, worried about saying wrong shit. Whining up a Thank you for joining us on the Truth to Power podcast. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. This week, we are introducing another song that actually is going to finish off our album, Headspace. If you look for Headspace, right now it is available online. Curious G-K-Y-R-I-O-S-G. And the album is called Headspace. This song is called Money. Money. Money makes a price. Money makes a price out of everyone's life. Money makes a price out of everyone's life Standing on the streets with these words like a knife Money makes a price out of everyone's life Standing on these streets with these words like a knife So I'm standing in the face of opposition Opposed to the wall that they mixed up in the kitchen Faint claims, feeding all the hungry Price is getting high, baby, some get the money America pie, everyone gets a slice Step inside this opposition, words like a knife Money makes a price out of everyone's life Standing on the streets with these words like a knife Money makes a price out of everyone's life I'm standing on the street with the words like a knife Feed on the tiny most of seed. Some take another slice, then bleed. Take a bite out of what you wanna take in this life. Take a bite, take a bite. Alpha balance ain't right. Worms in the big apple, yet we devour what tastes so sweet. Same lean hour, my stomach turned on me. My stomach turned on me. So I'm standing among the hungry. I tried fast from the love. But it's been incorporated by the cursed earth consumers All our distractions just arranged by
by the use of my planet Goddamn, it's dying Look out the window at the population rising Soon maybe there won't be enough Food to fill the children made out of love Bread into the war of all get yours Bread into the war of all get yours We're bread into the war of all get yours Bread and water war of all will get yours Money makes a price out of everyone's life Standing on the streets with these words like a knife Money makes a price out of everyone's life Standing on the street with words like a knife Here is mine, let me define My territory has got line We are bound to earth and the terms of life In breath and dirt, work side by side A sea but not the shades of that life Yeah, money has got us all pulling out knives To climb that new kind of jungle climb Separated, turned on that family tree Where love's fruit may have died We feast on one another in this fight For that piece of cake, make me whole pie Don't you know money can't buy one more breath in this life, damn that point struck like a knife. I got that deep cut kind of mind. Standing on the streets with these words like a knife. Take your bite after bite. Or grow and connect, cultivate this life. Your money or your life. What's your type of grind? I got life. Oh shit, and this knife. Shit and this knife. Oh shit and this knife. Oh shit and this knife. Money. Money.